The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Cloister Bell podcast. I'm Liam, and I'm joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Hello, everyone. And how's it going with you? Really well, thanks. Good, good. Yeah. It's been a while. It has. <laughs> the podcast, which has been a long time coming, and it's Megloss. Uh, I'm sure everyone's been looking forward to this one. Um, yeah, so this is the uh, the the continuation in our long, long, long running series of looking at uh, season eighteen of Doctor Who, uh, where we have include we're not only just including the televised stories, but also the big finish audio adventures, which slot in, which has made this uh, endeavor uh, a lot longer than than I thought it was. So um, we're quite a few stories in. Uh, but finally, we've got round to the second televised story. Of... We don't think this stuff through. We just dive in headfirst. <laughs> Rob, you should stop me. It's like, oh, it's one of Liam's crazy ideas. Liam! Well, you, you, you don't stop me with my crazy ideas. Uh, that's true. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe we need to be further with each other. Just going, yeah. that all sounds marvellous, Rob, but it's crazy. Uh, and and vice versa, but yes. Anyway, we uh, we made the decision and we're sticking to it. Damn it! So anyway, yes. Megloss. First of all, uh, usually we do the plot synopsis and the cast and crew, but I'm just going to swap it around uh, uh, this occasion. So, uh, Tom Baker plays the Doctor. Lala Ward plays Romana. John Leeson plays K9. Bill Fraser plays General Gruger. Frederick Trevers plays. Um, Lieutenant Brodadak, Edward Underdam plays Zaster, Jacqueline Hill uh, returns to the series uh, and plays Lexa, Colette Gleason plays Karis, Crowford Logan plays Diedrichs, and Christopher Ohm plays Earthling. Just that's it. Just Earthling. Earthling. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the story was directed by Terence Dudley. It was written by John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch, and it was produced by John Nathan Turner. Um, good old John. Yeah, good old John. Uh, this was the first season of Doctor Who he uh, he produced. Uh, well, he sort of co-produced it. Uh, Barry Letts returned as as, exec- as executive producer. So, um, the Doctor Who handbook, the fourth Doctor, the Tom Baker years, was published by Virgin Publishing and released in 1992. So, I've got that here, and uh, I'm going to read some of the plot synopsis. So... Megloss. The inhabitants of Tigella in the Prioran planetary system have a problem. The giant dodecahedron which has powered their underground city since it fell to their planet is now failing. The surface of Tigella is covered with lush, aggressive vegetation, and the Tigellans believe that unless they can find a solution to the power loss, they are doomed. The race is split into two factions. The Sarvents, led by Deidrex, who are scientists and believe that the dodecahedron is an artefact which was manufactured, and the Deons, led by Lexa, are religious worshippers who believe it to be the gift from their god Ty. Zaster, the impartial leader of Tigella, summons the Doctor to come and help, but on its way But on its way to the planet, the TARDIS is caught in a chronic hysteresis, a loop in time. Um, I'm just going to stop there. I'll get back onto the, the rest of the plot synopsis, but that's yeah, I think. And is there also a bit of a mistake in that? Is there about the you know the last part, the chronic hysteresis? Oh yes. Oh no, they were in a loop, weren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah. I beg your pardon. No, no, that's <laughs> that's fine. Um, so I'll just stop there because I think that's a, a good uh, place to stop because that's pretty much everything that's established in the first episode. Um, but I got a question for you, Rob. Oh dear. Are cactuses scary? In numbers, yes. I'd say one cacti, mm-hmm. not so scary. <laughs> right, okay. And um, is this based on this story, or did you think that's just common sense and cacti? Common sense. I had um, two. Um, I'm looking at one of them now. Now, I got um, two two cactus. I got them in 2010. Uh, one was a, a very tall one, mm. uh, Lanky Larry. We called him. Right, okay. 
Um, I think I killed him. He, well, he only died a few years ago, but um, he only meant to water them barely ever. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of just watering the base of the soil, I just I just drizzled him under the tap. <laughs> right, okay. And because he got so wet, I think he might have got some kind of rot. And sadly, uh, sadly, Larry died. Oh. But um, his brother, which I got on the same day, Stumpy Steve. <laughs> right. Is still alive and kicking. So what What year is this now? 2022. And I got him in 2010. That's not bad. Yeah, that's actually, that's really yeah. good. All right. Okay. But so. They're right bastards. Um, right. Yeah. Well, one of them is. The other one's gone. But um, I've got them on the kitchen windowsill at the moment. And I'm always getting pricked. I see. Anyway, uh, okay, so the idea of... I mean, D- Doctor Who's had um, plant life-based villainy before. Uh, you had it in the Patrick Troughton era. You had it in the early Tom Baker story um, with uh, the Seeds of Doom. And, you know, you got things like the Day of the Triffids and... Um, there's some horror films which have scary plants in them so yeah it's a it's a good science fiction staple um do you think it's a good idea to have a cactus as a villain i think so right okay before i saw this story i had it must have been a copy of i don't know if it was an old doctor who magazine or the doctor who weekly collected comics or something like that but i used to have stacks of magazines um mm-hmm. that i used to get from time Out market mm-hmm. and um i seem to remember one well the a lot of them had a like a poster on the inside page and one of them was um the um the cacti tom baker <laughs> oh <laughs> yes uh which is a, which is a great image but we'll we'll get yeah. on to that because that's a little uh, bit but like... i remember thinking oh that's a bit grotesque Yes. Not think not thinking he was a cactus, thinking what the hell's going on. Yeah, like has he got but, some uh, sort of like skin condition? Yeah. Yeah. Just needs yeah, to moisturize more and he'll be fine. Yeah. Doctor Who and the la- and the lack of moisturizing cream. The horror. Um so Moisturize me, moisturize me. <laughs> had that before. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, so um so even though the, the, at uh, Big Finish have, have slotted in stories between the Leisure Hive and Megloss, Megloss quite clearly follows on from uh, the Leisure Hive, not least of all because Lala begins the story wearing her Leisure Hive costume and they're repairing K-9 from his um, going into the sea near Brighton Beach. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, this is how the the story begins. And a lot of, in terms of the Doctor, Romana and K-9, the first episode, they're pretty much locked inside the TARDIS and they're repairing K9, and that's pretty much what's what's going on. Um, th- it turns out that they're flying near the planet Tigella, um, which is a mighty coincidence, uh, because when we go to Tigella's uh, na- neighbouring planet, this is where all the action is, is taking place in the first episode. So we have uh, this group of space pirates i suppose or bandits who, who land on this on this planet the, and they're the gaztecs and they've been summoned there uh with strict instructions to bring a human um which i'm not sure why and it's never yeah. explained so he's, he doesn't have a name he's just human yeah uh, the actor christopher owen he's just credited as earthling yeah and i'm jumping ahead a little bit here but he's gone on this big I don't know. Space journey. Mm. <laughs> uh, well, where is it? Um, he's went on this big, big long. Um, did they? Did they intercept him somewhere and, and kidnap him? Well, considering that he seems to be dressed like a businessman from 1981 in his pinstripe suit. Yeah, and there's a there's another there's another issue that he told his wife he'd be back for tea or something. Yeah, which is a nice joke at the end, but uh, but yeah. It seems to be that the Gaztecs have gone to Earth, randomly picked up this uh, this act. Uh, I was going to say this actor, this chap, um, oh, so, to bring so, him to the planet. Uh, Zo- so they got him from Earth. Yeah, 
Right. Okay. I mean, I think think so. I mean, maybe not. Maybe he was on a colony planet or something like that, and they, you know, maybe they were cosplaying as early eighties business. Yeah. It, you know, possibly. But anyway, so the Gaztecs arrive on uh, the planet of Zolfathura, uh, where there's nothing there apart from the screens. The screens of Zolfathura? Yes, the screens yeah. of Zolfathura. I've heard of those. Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> just the way that they're constantly referred to, of course, the screens of Zolfathura. Right, and what what are the just that's what it's called. So we've got this planet, and it ha- there's nothing there apart from the screens. What screens? The screens of Zolfathura, and uh, but there's this huge underground base which just suddenly emerges, and the Gaztecs go into it, and they're addressed uh, by somebody in it. Actually, what sounds like a very great uh, processed voice. It ha- it has a really good quality to it i do like the sound of the, the voice that they they give megalos mm. um and they don't know what's going on and then they cotton on that the only thing in the room with them apart from all this scientific equipment is a cactus and they clock that it's actually the cactus who's uh, the cacti that's speaking to them um and the, the the cacti is called megalos um yeah yeah so, so at this point like when you were watching had you seen the story before a long time ago, and honestly, I hadn't remembered a thing of it. Ah, okay. So when you, I mean, so what were you thinking uh, of the story at this point? The first episode is a bit disjoint because we have the Doctor and Romana on their own in a loop, and then we've got this bonkers stuff going on. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It. Yeah. It just been very disparate. Nothing seems to be connecting. Which. On the face and then of it, we've got the guys on the other planet with the the dodgy hair. Yeah, yes, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of interesting hair. So um, you've got the the savants, which are the the scientific lot. Uh, they've got um, blonde pudding bowl wigs on. Yeah, and oh, didn't some guy burn his eyes out and he had to wear these bizarre eye patches? Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Was he blinded? I think he was, and I think they those white th- spongy things they put in his eye is obviously supposed to soothe. Yeah. So, uh, at this this early on in the story, are they trying to uh, um, play on this idea of um, like science versus religion? Yes, and that runs out through through the whole story. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it's very obviously done. What what are your thoughts on that actually? Uh, the night that you brought that up, it it it's a really interesting thing. Um, uh, what's more interesting is there isn't a definite um, right or wrong answer for either, because ultimately neither knew the. Um, d- did we uh, did we find the um, answers behind the? The what do we call it? The dodecahedron. The dodecahedron. Well, we do. Yeah, I, I actually disagree with you because I think the way that the story presents itself, it's it's quite clear that the, the religious group are in the wrong and the scientists are right. Well, yeah. So the scientists think that the dodecahedron, which I think is a great word, I love it. The, the, the dodecahedron. I'm just going to mention the dodecahedron at every given opportunity now. So they think that the dodecahedron is uh, has been manufactured, uh, whereas the uh, and it and the religious slot. I think that it's it's been a gift from from the god Tai. Um and the and the religious uh, group uh, have been have prevented the scientists from analyzing the dodecahedron so that's the limit yeah. of, of their knowledge. And the way that story presents itself is well it turns out that the dodecahedron was actually manufactured uh and it was manufactured from uh Zolfathura um and it's actually incredibly powerful so the religious lot were wrong there and the fact that they have been they've actually prevented scientific study and knowledge mm. um so there's no real um deafness to the writing there i think it, okay. you know it's sort of like religious lots are stupid 
and and get in the way and prevent uh, learning and science is where it's at uh i haven't got a problem with the the, the look of science versus religion um, but you know, sometimes they are disparate. Sometimes it, 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 it uh, they intermingle, and all the rest yeah. of it. I th- there's no, there's no subtlety to the writing here. And I think actually, um, the writer Chris Boucher, who very sadly recently passed away, mm-hmm. um, he was, uh, as I understand it, I th- uh, he was atheist, and that that difference of the group and how uh, religion he he took it he analyzed uh religion and uh, to a certain extent in the story which introduced leela which was the face of evil uh, and he looks at he looks at it from a sort of anthropological po- point of view which is sort of interesting and i actually think from that perspective the face of evil deals with the the different groups the place of religion in society in a much more interesting, deftly written way. This one's a bit, uh, it's a bit too on the nose, I think. Yeah. Even I picked up on it. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself credit, Rob. But yeah, it's, uh, even, even though the way that the, uh, that they dress, I mean, the costumes are great in this story, but it's, mm. they are completely. It's not the hair. Yeah. But, well, there's something interesting. They, they have blonde, pl- uh, plaited hair. Are they all wearing wigs? Yeah, but I don't think it's supposed to be wigs. But they got these uh, these blonde. Yeah, well, I, I know they're not actually all wearing. Wi- I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's not all the actors' hair. <laughs> but do you think you know, like a judge goes to work and puts a wig on? Oh yes. Yeah, it's probably that. Mm. But the the religious lot have Maybe. these. Uh... Like a ceremonial wig. Yeah, it could... well, it is. Yeah, it is very ceremonial, and they have these. Uh... <laughs> They have their hair, their hair sort of uh, plaited and then tucked into their shirts. Mm. So yeah, it's it's a look. It's certainly very striking. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you you've got all this this, this stuff going on, and so you've got three separate locations within the first story, and none of it ties up, and that actually can work. But I agree with you, Rob. On this occasion, I don't think it does. Um. But uh, what's happening is that the reason why the, the Gaztecs have uh, have kidnapped the Earthling on the behest of Megloss is because, obviously, being a cactus, uh, he's he's rooted obviously. Uh, to the he's rooted into a plot pattern. He he can't move, so he needs to move. Uh, yeah. Stuck in a pot. Stuck in, stuck in a pot. So they stick this Earthling into a machine. Megloss on the other side of it. And Megloss is then transposed on top of the human. Yeah. Um, so then he's able to use the human to, to move about. But at the same time, he's able to change his appearance. So at one point, he's looking like um, this earthling. Uh, he somehow managed to find out that the doctor is has been summoned to Tigella and is on his way. Mm-hmm. So st- uh, stops him by pulling, putting him... Uh, in a chronic hysteresis, which is a time loop, uh, which I don't think is actually quite a neat idea. It's quite, you know, it's quite a horrific idea that you would be trapped in a loop of time and you can't yeah. get out of it. Um, they could have been in that for an eternity, couldn't they? Yeah, it's a horrible idea. And the thing is that that after this happens a couple of times, because they have a they have a gap uh, before the. the before the time loop loops back to the beginning, so, yeah. So that the, the, so they do have a gap, and they become aware of it. And within that gap, they're able to talk about what on earth's going on before then quickly having to repeat themselves all over again. Um, which I think you know it's 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 a good idea, and I think it's it's done quite well. And then we end on the cliffhanger, which is Megloss has made himself to look like the Doctor. Did he look like a cactus doctor at this point? No, no, he didn't. That that just, just that the comes. Yeah, he looks like um, he looks like Tom Baker. Um, so going back to the the plot synopsis, it goes: uh, the TARDIS has been trapped by Megloss, the last surviving Zorthuran, whose race built the Dodecahedron. Megloss, whose true form is that of a Xerophyte, has summoned help in the form of an unruly band of Gaztec mercenaries led by General Gruger. They kidnap a human, and Megloss takes over his body, then transforms it to look like the Doctor. 
which uh, we've discussed. Megalos arrives on Tigella ahead of the trapped Doctor and tricks the Tigellans into allowing him access to the dodecahedron. When he is alone, he miniaturizes and absconds with it. Yeah, the, the first the first episode is a bit is a bit of a funny one. It it it's it sets everything up during its whole uh, running time, and it's in the second episode when things really start to to kick off. Um, I've got to mention one thing. What do you think of the production values of this story? Uh, I'm going to say very good. Um, obviously, inherently, it does look a bit ropey and weird. Um, the stuff on... I'm forgetting the name of the, which was the Sandy Planet. The um, Salt of Thera. That's the one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's noticeably like green screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a bit of difficulty identifying what element of it was was um practical to scale and what wasn't mm-hmm. when they when they walk out and approach the screens um is it just that the screens weren't there was the ground there the camera panned around, panned along well actually th- this is something that was quite pioneering at the time so there is a, a the, the, so it was a mixture you had uh, you had model work you had studio uh, sets uh, and you had uh, and you had green screen and, okay and you know D- doctor who had been using green screen for for a long time at this at this point so you could composite um actors seemingly in a situation similar to what we see in Megalos but what was pioneering in this story was a company had come up with a way of linking the uh, the movement of the studio camera to the camera that uh, to the the cameras on the uh, the model and they would move in sync Right. So, um... and this and this was the first, uh, as far as I'm aware, this was the first time this was ever used uh, on on, like pioneering on television. Motion capture. Yes. Yeah. It was. It was. It was really pioneering because the the movement and obviously there's a lot of maths and uh, com- uh, computer modeling that has to go into it. So that the the movement of the studio camera um, is transferred over to uh, the the camera that's looking at the model and. Obviously, there has to be calculations built into that to to lower the movement down. So it's it's not entirely like for like, but it matches the scale of the model, right? Because um, uh, I know I know they've done this in Doctor Who in the Trial of a Time Lord, mm-hmm. um, with the establishing shot of the the space station. Yeah, which is six you years, know, which is about five six years later. Yeah, uh, than my um, case, yeah. and the the camera just pan around the model, mm-hmm. but it's also synchronized with the the starfield pra- practical shot of the starfield yes was in fact inverted it it was a it was a white shot with black stars um but yes the whole thing was um color inverted and then imposed over one another and um yeah the motion capture works really well a bit too well it's like the yeah, the mo- <laughs> you get a bit of motion sickness from the, all the stars, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you uh, do. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's amazing. So actually, within those two, the, within these, you know, it shows that how um, technology had developed within a relatively short space of time. Because you've got this pioneering way of of, of doing this sort of uh, model shots and use of uh, blue or green screen in in Megalos. Uh, and then see what they're able to do with that technology, which has then upped its game five, six years later. Right. Um, but the, but because this was the first time that it was used on a television uh, program, uh, John Nathan Turner was able to get a discount on it. Oh, wow. Um, so, see, yeah. that's really interesting because to me, I w- my brain was starting to identify what was, what was there, what was composited, mm-hmm. and what wasn't. And then, and then my brain was thinking, "This is motion capture, but it, surely it can't be." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's why the ho- the whole mechanics of the whole sequence just kind of baffled me. <laughs> no, no, I get that because I think what it is is you're recognizing that there's technology going on, but you would thought that this would have come much later than it actually does. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I can get that. Um, 
but yes, and I agree with you. I think the the production side of it, from that point of view, I think is is really rather good. I think the the sets of the the forest are, is when the the story's a bit ropey. Mm, okay. And apparently yeah. the the plants and everything uh, were very expensive to make, but they just looked like plastic. They did. Yeah, they were just kind of flopping around <laughs> when they were getting attacked. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it, it's a shame because you know when you have you had a story in um, the very beginning of Tom Baker's period. I think it was in his second series called Planet of Evil, and that has a very alien-looking planet, and that's wonderfully done, and so on. And then um, just the season before, actually, with Creature from the Pit, um, that's set on a uh, forest planet, and the sets on that and how that was filmed was was really mm. good. And this just feels like a step back. It just you can tell it. It just looks plasticky and fake, uh, yeah. which I, which I think is a shame. Um, but uh, I've never really been a, a sort of like a fan of the story. But when I was watching it on this occasion, it has been it had been quite a while since I last watched it. Certainly, when it came to the second episode, I found that from the store from a story perspective, I was kind of hooked and enjoying it. Hmm. Did you find the same? Were you enjoying it? Oh yeah, definitely. And I think, um, and I think um, the way that because I remember the first time, think you know when the when the TARDIS crew gets out of the chronic hysteresis by throwing it out of phase by 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 repeating what they'd been doing, and then they have yeah, re- within a cycle. Yeah, I thought, oh, that's a bit of a cop out. But on this occasion, I actually thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was nicely done, and I liked how it was hum- It was humorously done as well, mm. uh, with the doctor sort of like mucking up his lines and then saying to Romana for a moment, "I thought you'd forgotten your lines," and Lala Ward's, uh, you know, face pulling at the end of it, and it was it was quite nicely done. Mm. Um, I've got to say, I've got uh, I do rate Tom Baker's performance in this very well because how he's playing the doctor. Is completely different to how he's play on playing Megalos. Yeah, which I thought was you know very good, and it's it's the whole performance. It's uh, how he, you know, body language, the look of the eyes, just the way that he pitches his voice. I thought it was very good. Yeah. yeah, I thought I thought that was very good. Yeah, you could like differentiate between the two quite easily. Yeah, and this is the point because um, it's said that he's only able to like take over the human for about an hour, and then. Oh yeah. Uh, but then, because what it ends up happening is because uh, he ends up um, absconding with the dodecahedron, and the um, the Tigellans cotton onto this a lot earlier than than he anticipated, and they close the city down, so he's trapped. So it starts to exceed an hour. And the Earthling starts to escape. And when he's in that transition phase of trying to keep everything together, that's when you have Tom Baker looking like a cactus. Yeah. Which I think is uh, is, is a great look. And that moment when um, the character Karis um, encounters him and how she's... Yeah, and is, is that a bit terrifying for her? Is this where he sneaks up from behind? Yes. And then yeah, and he just takes her away. Yeah, and she's absolutely you know terrified and dumbstruck. I mean, I think you would be, but I think uh, Colette Gleason is very good at playing Karis, and I think especially that moment, I think I think she you know plays the, I think she plays the terror very well, because mm-hmm. she's a very strong character, um, and you can perfectly understand that you know you're just getting on with your work of of trying to. Um, keep the running of the city that you're in uh, together and then just as you're getting on with your work you have this uh this green spiky hand appear on your shoulder and you turn around and it's this uh this person in points <laughs> um uh and it, it is a very striking image yeah I, I, hmm. I think that's one thing about this story i think the the cast is 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 very good definitely are you wanting to have a listen to the trailer at any point uh, actually, yes, I think that's a good idea. Let's uh, let's listen to the trailer. Yeah. Okay.
I knew a man who solved the insoluble by the strangest means. He sees the threads that join the universe together and mends them when they break. Hello there, I'm Doctor. I'm expecting. Arrival, noted gentlemen. Welcome. What are you? I am Maylos. I think what you've got here is a good old-fashioned doppelganger. What you're asking us to do is impossible. I think you forget who I am. Where's the doctor? He's betrayed us. Arrest the timing. Stop him at all costs. That's the problem with doppelgangers. You never know who's who. He's I hope it was all worth it, Magros. Stop, contact patience! We are about to release a power in many magnitudes greater than any intelligence has ever controlled. Wow, doesn't that make you want to watch Megalos? Yeah. <laughs> and then you watch it go, oh. Um, <laughs> actually, that trailer has one of my favourite lines in the show. Simply because it's because of its really bizarre delivery. Which is at the end of episode two. So at the end of episode two, um, the uh, Romana um, comes across the Gaztac spaceship. Uh, and encounters the gas tax and tries to escape but it, but is caught and uh lieutenant brodadak uh orders um his men to to kill her but the line is she's seen too much kill her right but the yeah. delivery of that line is so bizarre um i never i never got what he, it took me ages to work out what he'd been saying because it hang on see if, see if I can get that he says she's seen too much kill her but the, the, his diction of it is I thought he was saying she's deceived Thomas <laughs> kill her they'd be like what What? who the hell's Thomas how she? How has she deceived him I don't understand it took me is this a fourth wall break yeah I just don't <laughs> Thomas Baker. Yeah, is this a comment on their marriage? I don't know. It's just a, it was just that thing of going. She's deceived Thomas. It took <laughs> honestly, and it took me ages to work out. Going, oh, she's seen too much. Oh, that oh. makes sense. But honestly, it was an, and it was an embarrassingly yeah. long time for me to cotton on to that was actually what the. Oh, was. tell me about it. There's been plenty times, especially when you watch things as a kid, which you don't understand, but you just accept. <laughs> And when you mishear them, it's like in in the original Star Wars, mm. when they're on the Millennium Falcon, the Death Star has just destroyed Alderaan, mm. and Obi-Wan takes a seat, and he's like, it's as if a million voices have just been silenced. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And for so many years, I thought he said, it's as if a million oysters have just <laughs> have been silenced. And I thought, what a strange analogy. <laughs> But uh, I just accepted it for all these years. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <They went. laughs> so when did you realise it was the correct? You know when it was. Uh... Oh, years later. I'm, uh, um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna admit it. Within the past ten years, that I realised. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is my equivalent of that, Rob. Uh, it's in my gloss. It'd be like, she's deceived uh... Thomas. Huh? <laughs> And then, sort of like many, many years later, after I've seen Megloss for the very fifth time, then realizing it's like she's seen too much. Ah, right. Which interpretation was better, do you think? The original? I do prefer my original mishearing of it. Maybe I was right and just Lucas, George Lucas, changed it. Well, yeah, I mean, he's tinkered with everything else. He's probably realized, you know what, that line about the oysters? I don't like it so much anymore. Yeah, it's a it's it's a funny thing. Yeah. Um. So yes. So uh. Ra- so going back to the the plot synopsis. So. Um. Well, hang on. So uh. So Megalos has absconded with the dodecahedron and is taking it back to Zolfathura, with um, with the Gaztecs. 
the Doctor is now on Tigella and has obviously been um, mistaken for Megalos, but then it's it's very quickly established that uh, there was a doppelganger. The Doctor is innocent. Mm-hmm. But uh, because that the, the dodecahedron, which was powering Tigella, is no longer there, um, things are changing. So now there's a, there's a, a power grab and... Um, uh, the Deons, who are the the religious group, uh, take over, and they they exile everyone outside, uh, in a way which is, <laughs> in a way which no one seems to leave. It's really odd, so that they take over and go. Everyone who's not a believer is exiled, um, mm. so everyone's sort of like bundled out. Um, but even that impartial guy. Yes, even that impartial guy on the you know saying that he's been a believer all his life and 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 she's like our oh, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, which actually Something I think like you that. know is you know the, uh, oh, yeah, it uh, belief lies in the deeds, Aston, not the words. Oh yes, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, which I actually think is you know a good line, and Jacqueline Hill uh, delivers it really rather well, actually. So um, Jacqueline Hill, really good actress, and in terms of Doctor Who, she was there at the very beginning. She played Barbara with William Hartnell. She's one of the very mm-hmm. first companions. She's brought back to the series uh, to, pray le- uh, to, to play Lexa. Um, odd, on the face of it, a seemingly odd thing to do, but there's nothing wrong with bringing... You know, she'd been at the show for decades at this point. Yeah, do, is it an odd thing that they've brought her back when she's such a major character? I think it is or, a little or... bit, because there is that, that thing of... I mean, I don't know whether you had this, Rob, but you have this thing where you're kind of distracted of just going... Yeah, I you know because Jacqueline Hill's a good actress and I like her performance of Lexa and I think she does a really good job of it, but you are constantly distracted at the fact that um, it, it's Jack, it's Jacqueline Hill. Yeah, I mean we've had we, we've had things before over a longer length of time. Um, let's look at like is it Joe Bell and Mister Copper in Doctor Who from like, or who else has been in Doctor Who and then returned. Which actors? Um, oh, we could we could look at the doctors as well. Mm-hmm. Like um, Colin Baker played a minor character, and he played the Doctor. Um, and Peter Capaldi done the same. But yeah, it's strange. You wouldn't. Ha- it would be strange for like I don't know Billy Piper to crop <laughs> up now. Yeah, I mean, playing, I, playing some random character. I mean, which which itself would be a would that be a longer span of time for Billy Piper? Yeah, it's a, it it is a it is a bit of a funny one, I suppose. I mean, like how many years had it been since then? And and Megloss. What year was what year was Megloss? Um, nineteen eighty. Yeah, so what she left in um, fifteen years prior. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's not that's not a great great deal of time. No, but when, but when you, th- well, it is and it isn't. It's yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it is a bit of a funny one. I think really what it comes down to is because she played such a important character. I mean, she was one of the regulars, vital character. Was in the first two years. It's not as if it's um. I've forgotten the actor's name now, but uh, it's like what you said, Rob. You, we have had other actors um, in the, you know, Bernard Kay. Uh, he he reappeared in a couple of William Hartnell stories, and he was also in a John Pertwee story. But you, you're not um, distracted. Nicholas Courtney. He of course was in the Daleks' Master Plan. Yes, that's yes. I've forgotten that. Yes, he was. He was in the Daleks' Master Plan, and then. Yeah, but that's sort of like with 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 that's more with, with hindsight. Um, I'm not yeah. sure if anyone would have. Co- yeah, and um, I think we've had the same with Karen Gillan. She was in one episode, The Fires of Pompeii. Yeah, and I, I, and and then she became a major character. But yeah, this is this is in reverse. Yeah, I think it's. Do you think it it was a missed opportunity to bring Barbara back? Not necessarily. I mean, I suppose it would have been nice to have uh, Barbara come back, and um, but then I have no, I, I have no issues with Jacqueline Hill playing Lexa. And as I said, I think she gives a good performance. But there is that initial kind of distracting element, which we, which we've said. The other thing as well, though, is that um, I don't, 
I think of all the characters to get Jacqueline Hill to, to come back and play. I mean, Lex is not a particularly rich character, is she? Mm. Like from a no. like from in terms of how she's written as a character, it's not really. She's just a a leader, and um, she has a strong belief. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um. But apart from that, no, there's not much, um, not many other dimensions to our character, is there? No, there isn't. Um, but it's, but nonetheless, it's it's still nice to you know that Jacqueline Hill's come back. It's it's nice that she's there. She's got good, pre- you know, good presence. Um, and I do like this whole thing of the cliffhanger of episode three, where um, I love the build up to it, and the thing of the conversation that she has, Lexa has with the doctor and just going, you know, uh, where the doctor goes, well, where she's seeking his help to find the dodecahedron. And he says, well, I'll be perfectly willing to help in the ordinary way. And she goes, no, doctor, not in the ordinary way. And just his reaction going, not in the ordinary way. And then she goes, no, prepare him for sacrifice. And there's this dramatic, like, wave acting thing that goes on. Yeah. Um, which is which is just great in camp and over the top. And I, I do quite like it. Um and that whole building up, because they're going to basically crush him to death and there's the burning of the ropes <laughs> uh, as, the, as the whole stone is shaking the studio ceiling and you just kind of go, well, it's because the stone's incredibly heavy. Um, but I, yeah, I do like that. I also like the music as well. Um, mm. But one thing I can't... Because uh, I think it may have been Peter Howell that did the music for uh, for this story. Yeah, it's likely. Oh yes, he did. Paddy Kingsland, I think, did the music for the first episode, uh, but he may have fallen ill or something like that. And then, and then um, Peter Howell took the stone fell in. <laughs> stuff, yeah. And then uh, Peter Howell took over the the rest of the story, and he uses a vocoder. Uh, there's there's uh, there's the use of a synthesizer, and he also uses a vocoder. Uh, so you've got this strange kind of voice over the course of this scene as as the tension builds up. But I'm not sure if the Fakoda is saying Ty, as in the name of the god that the uh that the Dion's yeah. worship. So it's going Ty, 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 Ty. Thomas. Or they're saying die. <laughs> uh I'm not sure which one it is, because you know it could <laughs> Tie, 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 or die, die, die. But because it's through this vocoder, it's, it's slightly distorted. But uh, it's a simple idea. But I do think it works quite well. Although I'm making yeah. it sound incredibly comedic, but it's not. Yeah. It's really rather good. Uh, yeah. Um, but of course, going into the fourth episode. Um, uh, there's this big mad rush. Um, Lexa is, you know, when everything's explained to Lexa, basically going, you know, you're going to kill the wrong man. It was a doppelganger, and that doppelganger, which was Megloss, has now gone away. You're about to kill the the wrong man. She very quickly turns and goes, "Is this, is this true?" And, and very quickly, sort of like changes her mind. So you know, for all her um, very strong uh, beliefs, which may take her down a um, you know dodgy route, she's very. Um, uh, understanding and willing to listen, but mm. um, so so yeah. So going back to so so when the doctor arrives, having escaped the time loop, he is of course accused of the crime of st- stealing the dodecahedron. However, he escapes and follows Megalos back to Zarthathura, where the cactus creature plans to unleash the power of the dodecahedron to destroy Tigella. The Doctor turns the tables and missets the computers controlling the device, causing an explosion which destroys Megalos. The Tigellans are then forced to begin reclaiming their planet's surface from the vegetation, and the Doctor takes home the human whose body Megalos had stolen. So, um, so what had happened was, because uh, the city had been uh, shut down and everyone was trapped, the Gaztecs mm. have attacked the city, Megalos has escaped, um... The Doctor, Romana K9, and uh, Karis and De- Diedrichs 
um, are going to go to Zalthathura. And I have said it before that there's this thing where it's just going, yeah, but you know, but what does this Megalos want? Like, why is he taking it to Zalthathura? Hmm. And you know, because there's nothing there. No, he's just one guy in a pot. Yeah, but um, just like you know, there's nothing there. But it goes, and then Romano says, um, except the screens. Yes, what screens? The screens is Zalthathura, and Tom Baker just. I, I for some reason I am obsessed with this line, uh, the fact that it's written, and I love Tom Baker's delivery of it. Just going, so it's like apart from the screens, yes, what screens? The screens of Zalthathura, and then he goes, of course, the screens of Zalthathura. It just, <laughs> you don't even know what they are. No one does. What are they there for? It's insane. We later find out it's to um, to somehow magnetize the use of the dodecahedron. But I just, of course, yeah. the screens of Zolfathura. Um, <laughs> I just makes me laugh. It's a stupid line. It gives me such much so much joy. I don't know how Rob, but I would love to just randomly drop her into like everyday normal conversation. Yeah, of course. Yeah, don't know how I would do it. Just 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 go. Of course, the screens of Zolfathura. I might just randomly just start like mentioning it in other podcasts, just randomly. Oh yeah, do it. <laughs> it can be the little Easter egg people need to find. Yeah, where does the... <laughs> they win a prize? Yeah. At which point does Liam randomly reference Megalos by quoting his favorite line? Of course, the screens is off a theory. Anyway, yeah. So, so they go, and then what has got one? Which has got to be one of the worst ex? Just one of the worst. I'm trying to think of a better way I could phrase this because it just sounds like I'm trying to make a really bad pun. But um, one of the worst executed deaths on screen. Lex is just suddenly shot. Um, so uh, Romana and the Doctor and uh, the couple of the um, uh, Tigellans are yeah. about to leave the city to, to head off to the TARDIS. And we see that one of the Gaztecs who we thought was dead was wasn't, and is suddenly just aims a, a gun at Romana, um, and shoots. But it's not very clear that he was aiming for Romana. Uh, and all what we hear is is Lexico Romana, and then we just run. Then there's the shot, and then Lex has just collapsed onto the floor. Just, but we haven't actually seen the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to, uh. Lala Ward's face in tears going um, she saved my life and the doctor goes yes but now we've got other lives to save and then they just promptly walk off and it was just it just seems such a needless pointless death but the way in which the whole scene is edited and shot it's really weird uh, you mean the, the how the killing is shot? yes Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, not the. the um, I, I know I'm using you know guns and shots and. Ca- I meant it in terms of their uh, camera shots. Yeah. Hmm. I can remember it, but I can't quite picture it. Yeah, shot it, by shot. It's, uh, it's really oddly done, and it's a bit. It. I just think it's a, it's a little bit shoddy. But anyway, there you are. But anyway, so they so then everyone's at um, Zalfathura, where the screens are, and. Um, the doctor does like some jiggery pokery. Um, you do get the great, you do get a good scene with uh, the Megalos and, and Doctor um, in the same scene. It's very nicely shot. There's some very clever use of blocking, but you've also got a use, a good use whether they appear in the same shot. Um, so it's, it's it is nicely done. I think it's done quite well, and I like the. The performances of Tom Baker against Tom Baker. Again, it goes into that thing. You know who the Doctor is. You know who Megloss is. Yeah. It's quite clearly... And we had that whole um, subplot about the coat. Yes, and uh, which which I think is nice. You've got this this nice running gag of Lieutenant Brodadak. He's obsessed with the Doctor's coat. <laughs> and it, you know... But it was an extension of an illusion of a cactus. Yes. But he's able to take it off and give it to him. Yeah. Don't think about it. Don't do. Th- I'm, I'm thinking about it too much. But I was about to quote a story from the line. Don't think too hard. You'll burst something. Um, there are some quite good comedy lines in this. 
some intentional, some not, I suppose. And um, I think John Flanagan and Andrew McCulloch, who uh, wrote the story, had a, had an awful lot of fun because uh, the character Brodadak, it's that's an anagram of bad actor. Um, oh, right. uh, which they told Frederick Treves, who plays the character, and he just thought it was an absolute hooter. He he loved that, uh, and and you know he does play the um, he does play that character in quite a um, interesting way. I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but I think maybe I wonder if that ins- I wonder if that inspired the way he delivered his performance. Maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, Megalos realizes he's defeated and then turns into a piece of green rubber, which is promptly dragged across the floor. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, from what we were saying, I mean, there, there's some, you know, really pioneering, great special effects used in this story uh, for the time. And then there's that. And then there's, <laughs> and then there's that. In one scene, I mean, it's fantastic. You can see the strings. Just this large piece of green rubber just being dragged across the studio floor. It's fantastic. Uh, really poor production values at its absolute best. It's it's marvellous. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But then, you know, every, of course, everything ends in a com- utter explosion. Uh, everything on um, Zophathura has exploded. Megalos has been defeated. And uh, there's a sudden... I quite like the end scene, though. I think it's it's quite nice. Do you remember it? Are we talking about the final scene with the human? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. So nice little scene. Yeah, it. Uh, we have one line which is uh, Romana saying uh, Gallifrey uh, wants them to return immediately. That will yeah. pay off in the next televised story. So it's setting up uh, the beginning of full circle. Uh, Do we take any side steps to big finish? No, we don't. Before we go then? straight into full circle. Okay, so straight into another televised uh, season eighteen after this one. So brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're all happy with that. <laughs> as much as we like big finish, it does get a bit much. It's all about the TV. In fact, we had we did have one listener who enjoyed our last review of uh, it was a big Finnish story, but he did say, "But I hope we, we're returning back to the TV series at some point." And we're like, "Yes, so do we." And don't worry, we are. Oh, burn, big Finnish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, curse the day they were incorporated as a firm and started no. producing original Doctor Who stories. Damn them! How dare them? <laughs> oh, there's just too many of them. Yeah. Um, but. Um... But that, yeah, that... I'd like I'd like to indulge indulge myself and do big finish a lot. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, we need to go back and forth <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, but uh, but yes, I'm pleased it's another TV story, uh, t- uh, televised story after this. But um, but that yes. that nice joke about uh him saying to the Earthling, uh, you can stay here if you want. You just go well, maybe I will. I'll be in trouble. I'm back home. Oh, uh, Yes, I promised the wife I'll be back home in 20 minutes. Well, that's all right. We can uh, get you back before you leave. Oh, good. And then there's that puzzled look. And we go straight into the credits. Nice little joke. Uh, wonderfully played. And it's it's quite nice. And there we are. Yeah. That is Megloss. That's Megloss. Thoughts, Rob? Ooh. Um... Yeah, good and bad things. It was a good... It was a short story, only four episodes. Yep. Um, I don't know. Not not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it a few weeks ago in preparation for this, and to be honest, I'd forgot most of it. So you've kind of refreshed that in my mind. Um, so maybe not that memorable. Mm. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> Hasn't got a great deal going for it, but it's it's very enjoyable. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it is it is very enjoyable. Um, I don't think the story is particularly fantastic, but nonetheless, I think the the story is is still a decent one. And there were parts of this when I, I found myself really engaged with what was going on, which actually surprised me a little bit because it is very simple and there's very little to no characterization going on. I think that's helped enormously by the story having a really good cast. Um, you know, Tom Baker's great, Lala Ward is always marvellous. Uh, Bill Fraser and Frederick Treves, I think, in, you know, just provide some wonderful humour. 
Bill Fraser um, was adamant that he would only take the part if he if he was able to kick K9, uh, which he does in this story. Apparently, he wanted to be the most hated, hated man on British television. Um, so he wanted to kick K9. Um, Edward Underdown, who I think was quite unwell when he filmed this, but I, th- I don't think that, that shows uh, particularly. I think he played Zasta quite well. Jacqueline Hill was great. And as I said, I think uh, Colette Gleason as, as Karis was, was wonderful. I think where the, the story falls down, I think it's the direction. Um, yeah, you mentioned some dodgy shots. Yeah, I, I don't think... I don't think the, the story is imbued with a particularly great, exciting, dynamic direction. And, um, yeah, I think there are some really odd, dodgy shots. And the moment when Lexa gets shot and dies in the final episode, I think it's a very good example of that. It, mm. It's just very shoddily done. Um Oh wait. But uh, but yeah, it's still enjoyable. Um I mean I, I do think there are better stories within the season, but um I have watched Megloss uh, a few times over the years. And I'd happily watch it again at some point. Shall we listen to someone else's thoughts? Yes. We've got uh, one of our lovely patrons, Grant. Um he said I love this story. Okay, so Megloss is not the greatest looking villain in cactus form. Uh But overall, the story is good. The effects on the planet's surface are very innovative. Yes. um, For their time. I love the space pirates. And he's put Gaztax? Question marks? Yes, yes, he's right. Yeah, Yeah. Gaztax, yeah. Um, And the... And the... What's that word? Societal? Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Uh, split, oh yes, of, of the Tigellans really reflects how they deal, albeit badly, uh, with the conflicting views of science and religion. Pros. Tom Baker playing both good guy and bad guy was awesome, and he clearly enjoys it, although probably not the hours and makeup. Romana is at her argumentative best. Jacqueline Hill bringing back to the show... What's not to love about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill Fraser steals the show as uh, Gruger. The scene with the chap from Earth at the end is very amusing. Mm-hmm. Cons, the time loop is awful. I mean, really awful. <laughs> and it goes on for so long. Well, that's the point, that's the point of a time loop. <laughs> yeah, Grant. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A talking cactus? Let's be fair. Even in the 80s, people would have laughed. Yeah. Like some of season 18, it feels like it's one episode too long. Useless fact, I went to Madame Tussauds as a kid in the 80s. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. And I remember seeing Megloss, and it sent me running and screaming to my mum. I was five at the time, so it's acceptable. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, because uh, Tom Baker appeared in Madame Tussauds at the same time, and they had him in twice, once as the Doctor and once as the Megloss version. So. And then one day they borrowed him. Oh, yes, for the, the five, five Doctors. The five yes. Doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I remember um, when I first saw those, obviously it was not the Megloss version, but um, I remember the first time I saw those uh, photos, I think they were the back of a VHS cover, but um, they were quite small. But I noticed that Tom Baker seemed to be in the same pose and both of them with his arm just <laughs> randomly up in midair and just going, that must have been Tom Baker just being a bit weird. What? I just thought it was really odd. And then and then years later, finding it, being able to see a fuller version of it. <laughs> Hang on a second. He's looking very... Dunno, he just his face looks very tanned but waxy. He's an auton. Yeah. Just... But there's some really great photos of them carrying him, isn't there? And laughing. Yeah, well, I think the rest of the, I don't think uh, Elizabeth Sladen was uh, uh, particularly amused because you know she, uh-huh. you know, she loved working with Tom Baker. But it was the fact that I think the rest of the Doctors were like taking the mick, just going, "Oh, you're too big to appear in the Five Doctors," <laughs> so just like taking the mick out of his wax work. Yeah, but <laughs> no, so, uh, that's a that's a pretty cool memory of of seeing it at Madame uh, Tussauds. I, yeah. I agree with uh, pretty much everything that that Grant says with that. I think that's a good s- summing up. But. Um, 
I, I do disagree with the, the time loop. I, I do quite like it as an idea. But, may, yeah, but I, I suppose it is yeah. it, it is played too too comedically. As a plot device in science fiction in general, mm. um, in, in television, uh, it can get a bit repetitive and, ty- and tiresome. Um, it does happen in a lot of shows, I guess. Yes, yeah, that's true. It's sort of that thing. I think it's a good idea. It probably works much better if you were to write it, um, if you, if you were to write it as a short story. It's towards the end of episode one. I think it's resolved quite quickly in episode two. So I don't think it's. I think if it went on for the whole of the duration, like most of episode two, I think oh yeah, that would that would get a bit that would get a bit much. I think it's. I, I th- it's not the best. Uh, version I've ever seen of a time loop used in a story, but I think it's yeah. you know I think it's fine. Yeah, um, we did a poll. Mm-hmm. We asked, of course, it wasn't one of my obscure polls about details or anything. This <laughs> was uh, this was about Megloss. Um, we asked, how would you rate Megloss? Good, average, or bad? Um. How many do you think said bad, percentage-wise? Mm. See, I think most people would say it was it was average rather than, mm, I don't mm, know, 10%? Okay. Less than that? I would say 8, right. 8%. You think it's 8? Well, we'll come back to that. Oh, okay. Um, well, good, um, almost 39%. Wow, okay. That's said the, it was good. Yeah, okay. Um, 0% said bad. Oh, okay. That's uh, that's quite good, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sixty-one percent average. It was like a sixty-forty between good and average. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. Quite. That's quite. A, I think quite a respectable. A respectable I think that kind of reflects w- my feelings towards the story. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's it's good on the side of average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Average with a sprinkle of good. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to average with a sprinkling of shit. <laughs> um, so, 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 yeah. Um, I'm quite pleased. Would, would I watch it again? Yes, because bits of it I can't remember. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a lot to enjoy. And it's only four episodes. What are they? 20, 30 odd minutes each. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. Just bite size. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I rated average, but I I did enjoy it. I mean, there are faults with this, but uh, I put them. I mean, yeah, I going back to what Grant said. I, th- I, th- I agree with that. I mean, even in the early eighties, it must have been laughable. Which is a cactus, really? Um, <laughs> but but you know what? It's like why not? And you go, it scares the kids. Yeah, you could actually point. It was like why not? And then you point at this story and goes, that's why not. But you know, it's I. I Megalos is too enjoyable not to. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's entertaining. So, yeah. I think the biggest fault for, for me actually comes to Ter- Terence Dudley's direction. I don't think it's 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 great, but uh, mm. but there you are. There we are. So everyone, that's Megalos. So Rob, yeah. what's happening for the next podcast? Ooh, well, it's Christmas time after all, and you know, Mister T. Himself, Dave Tennant, he's back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about next doctors. I thought we could do the next doctor. <laughs> that hadn't crossed my mind. It's just got it's one. It's just got a glaringly obvious thing to do. Yes, good one. Yes, okay. The next doctor. The next doctor. You up for that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just so the just to clarify for the listeners, that is an episode title. Mm-hmm. Yep, the next Doctor, one of the, um, one of the, is it 2020, 2010 specials? 2008? Is it 2009? I can't remember when that was broadcast. Feels certainly mm. a lifetime ago. Well, um, I'll definitely get the facts for next time. <laughs> right, great. <laughs> yeah. I'll not just stroll up with the microphone and scratch my head thinking, when was this? I don't know anything about this. I'll, I'll, I'll get clued up. Don't worry. Well, I mean, I mean, we could do a quick, a quick Google search. Yeah. What now? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's um, let's find out. It was. Oh, you beat me to it. No, hang on. Wait a sec. Oh, it was two thousand and eight. 
2008. Okay. Fair news. Wow. 2008. It's a while ago. <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I think we uh, need to let, let the listeners go. We need some sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thanks, everyone. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast. Uh, we've shook things up a little Sorry bit. to keep you here so long. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no.